we turn our attention tonight again to Matthew chapter 6, picking up in verse 9, and we're really going to spend some time here in what I believe rightly should be called the disciples' prayer. It's not so much the Lord's prayer because he's actually instructing the disciples, but it's a prayer that many people know by the name, the Lord's Prayer. But it's so much more than just a 70 one or two words in which the Lord is giving us a model. It's really the heart of our prayer life. And so as we look at the power of prayer in part two, this is actually the response, we learn that from Luke's gospel as well, to the disciples' question. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, before we get to Matthew 6, it says there, And now it came to pass... But as he was praying in a certain place, the original language there, that certain place was a place that was widely known. It was a place that was familiar. It was a place that was planned. It was a place that Jesus often went to, and people knew that Jesus often went there specifically to pray. And show that this shows us something that I think is so important for us to glean from this passage from the very beginning. Jesus, in fact, was Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? So in every sense, Jesus was God. And yet, being God knowing all things, having the very power of God at his fingertips, every capacity, the fullness thereof available to him. Jesus, God, prayed to God the Father. So if prayer was important in the life of Jesus... How much more important do you think prayer is for us mere mortals? If Jesus relied on prayer, how much more do you think we need to rely on prayer? And so this incredible picture, Luke continues on there in chapter 11, verse 1, that when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And the rest is contained within the passage that we'll look at in Matthew's Gospel. And so before the Lord teaches us on prayer, let's seek him in prayer. Father, we have come tonight as your kids, Lord, as your disciples, Lord, as followers of Jesus. Lord, maybe some tonight are inquiring, some are seeking. There may be some tonight who do not know you. Maybe some who have wrongly been taught what this prayer is actually about, what it's for. And so, God, we ask that from the heavens, you grace us with your presence in this place. Lord, your word declares to us that where two or more are gathered, Lord, you're there in the midst, and Lord, surely you're all places at all times, but there's a special, wonderful blessing that comes 
as we gather together as your family. And so bless us tonight. We ask all this in the mighty name, the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. And so he said to them, when you pray, say, Matthew's gospel records it this way, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. How important was prayer to Jesus? It's a simple question. I want you to notice something in Jesus' earthly, very brief ministry, by the way. Because of the content of the Gospels, we have a tendency to think that Jesus ministered for a much longer period of time than he really did. It was not even three full years. But as Jesus was ministering, it appears that his whole ministry was built on prayer. Wherever we find him, it seems as though we find him at least at some point in each story of his life, each parable, each preceding piece of information. As we meet Jesus along the way, as we spend time with the Savior, we find him in prayer. The Gospels record that he habitually rose up early, that he went out often before daybreak, and he prayed. In the evening, he would frequently be found on the Mount of Olives, a quiet spot, almost always alone, praying. And the reason I'm telling you this is we are so deficient as Christians in the area of prayer. It was a habit with Jesus to pray. If we would want to look at it from a human perspective... Prayer was the very air that filled his lungs, I believe. And I want you to notice that Jesus was inquiring of his own father. He was asking God, even in that amazing prayer in the garden, Father, if there be any way for this cup to pass from me, asking God himself, Father, I need your help. Now, as God, Jesus knew everything, could do anything, could have transported himself off into the heavens and been done with all of humankind. But in what he bore for us as a human being, he literally found it necessary to pray. Do you find it necessary to pray? That's my question for you. Do you find it necessary to pray? If we're going to be obedient disciples, if we're going to experience a fullness of communion with God, if we want the floodgates of heaven's blessings to open up upon us, then as the body of Christ as believers, we need to pray like we have never prayed. That means 
praying while you're driving. That means praying before you eat, while you're eating, and after you eat. That means praying in the morning, praying at noon, and praying at night. Prayer should be a habit for us as, as God's kids. And let me be very clear here. This, this prayer that Jesus just gave the disciples, the disciples' prayer, he did not say, when you pray, repeat these words. And you need to clearly mark this. He did not say, simply say these things over and over and over and over again as if there were some power in the repetition of these 70 words. What he said was, pray in this manner. In other words, when you break down the disciples' prayer, when you break down this prayer that the Lord has just given them as a model, it contains the necessary structural components for a prayer that's pleasing to God. And our prayer life is not so that we can get God to do what we want, and there's an awful lot of Christendom that prays that way. Amen? I think probably the first ten years I was a Christian... I believed that prayer was some secret phone line that you dialed up God and when you had a need, you simply called that line and he was obligated to give you whatever you asked for. I don't think there's a lot of people that pray like that. If we don't know how to pray, if we don't know what to pray for, it does us very little good to go through the motions of just simply repeating something that Jesus said. You, you could wander around all day long saying, Talitha kume, little girl, rise. And just because Jesus said it doesn't mean that he's asking us to say the same words. He's causing us to respond to who he is. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his commentary on this passage, in his book, Studies on the Sermons on the Mount, he said, man is at his greatest and his highest when he's on his knees because it's there that he comes face to face with God. You see, is there a, we actually get face to face with God. Unfortunately, awful times come to us at our own doing because we, we, we pray like an ambulance. The only time we talk to God is when there's something wrong. You know, we're dialing 911. We've got it on speed dial on our, on our phones to God. The only time we call is when we think we're going to die spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, maybe even morally, we, we cry out to God. And that's not the type of prayer life that's going to give you a successful walk with the Lord. Prayer is a link between a finite man and an infinite God. Think about it that way. To pray in our truest sense really is for us to tell God that we want to come into complete conformity with whatever he wants for us. Not that we want him to come into conformity with what we want from him. Do you notice the difference? We're seeking his will. I'm not trying to get my will done. Some of us that have walked with the Lord for a little longer in this room can tell you some of the most painful things we've ever endured is when God has answered lame prayers. 
when we've asked God for something that we should have never asked for and God allows us the privilege of talking to him, then he answers that prayer and then you get to suffer through having God answer that prayer. You just keep, Lord, I just got to have this house, got to have this house, got to have this house. I really want this job. I really want, and God's going, no, it's really not for you. But Lord, I have to have it. There's a difference between persistence and obnoxiousness. I need to learn the difference between the two. Persistence is persistently asking God for his will to be done in your life. Obnoxiousness is when you tell God that you know better than him. And he hasn't answered that prayer. He refuses to answer that prayer and you keep telling him, God, you're wrong. I know this, is, this, this girl is supposed to be my wife. This guy is supposed to be my husband. How many unhappy marriages have occurred? The only time that the Lord wants us to not ask of him as when we're asking for something that he doesn't want. Jesus, as he's giving this prayer, actually gave, remember, he's already given us the admonition, when you pray, do not pray with vain repetitions as the heathens do. He's already instructed us that way. So we know for sure that he's not telling us to simply repeat these words, these Fewer than 70 in most English versions. A little over 70 in some. Jesus didn't say, pray these words. He said, when you pray, pray in this manner. Use it as a template. Look at the content that's in this prayer and then model your prayer life after the things that are contained in it. And I want to just share a couple of things from this prayer tonight because it's so important for us to get it right. The purpose of prayer is to glorify God's name. The purpose of prayer is to bring God's interest. The purpose of prayer is God's kingdom. God's will. He may delay, but he's never late. And so we're praying for his will to be done on earth. I want you to take note of something. Look at your Bible. See if you see any singular pronouns in that prayer you see any eyes do you see any me's do you see any minds that's because the focus is not you it's God God already knows our needs we know that But prayer is that appointed way for God to speak into our lives. James chapter 4 verse 1 says this, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from within your members and the pleasure that they seek? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You war and fight and yet you do not have because you do not ask. How many times do we not receive an answer from God because we haven't even asked him his opinion, his thoughts? We haven't asked him what his will is. We've just seen something we like, we would want. 
It's an insertion of personal pronouns. You ask and do not receive, James goes on to say, because you ask amiss. In other words, you ask incorrectly. Your focus is off. That you may spend it on your pleasures. In other words, what he's saying is, when you think about yourself, you're going to ask for selfish things. And when you ask for selfish things, you're not going to get what God wants for you. You may get what you want, but that may not be what God wants. And in that prayer time, it's there that God prepares us for the answer that we're going to receive. Have you ever thought about your prayer life that way? That God is not just, you know, some you know, phone service that you can dial up and you ask him and he automatically does whatever you want. He may actually be preparing your heart to hear, now Jeff, I'm sorry, but I'm going to leave you with cancer. No, I'm really not going to save your mortgage because you're so far over your head. You're actually going to lose your home. But God is preparing you for what he's going to do. And I think it's so incredibly important for us to remember that. Because our prayer life, if it's focused on just what we want, it's going to be fairly fruitless. First thing that we can see here in verse 9, notice what it says, our Father who art in heaven, our Father who is in heaven, our Father, period, in heaven. And we need to realize that that's a truth. That's a statement. Our Father is the one who is in heaven. And and it's not just some mythical creation of man's mind. He's literally the Father of us all. Malachi the prophet even understood that. Malachi chapter 2, he said, Do we not all have one Father? Has not one God created us all? In that sense, all humankind can understand at least a little bit the fatherhood of God. But for us who love the Lord, Scripture makes it unmistakably clear that God's fatherhood is for believers. We're actually his kids. We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Amen? God actually made us into the people that we are as his family. So we have a special place. When we say our Father, he literally is the one who birthed us. Both physically and spiritually. He's your dad. He's our Father. And the opposite is actually true for people who don't know the Lord. They're in John chapter 8. We looked at it this morning. For unbelievers, your father is the devil. That's who you are without Jesus. You got two choices, heaven or hell. We don't like to think of it that way, but you need to think of it that way. You get, this is the one case where you actually get to pick your parents. You may have thought that was impossible. In this case, it's not only possible, it's what you need to do. And you need to choose wisely. Because to not choose that second birth, to not choose to be born again, not of the flesh, but of the Spirit, amen? Being born again of the Spirit brings you into God's family. 
He created the substance that makes you. In that sense, he's created every human being. But he wants that second birth for each of us so that we can call him Abba. We can call him Dad. When you think about your relationship with God, it should cause you to pray a little differently. When Jesus says these things, he's basically affirming something in us. Because he's your father, you can trust him. As, as a child, and as we have children, the one thing that we have that's unique within each of our family units is that relationship between parent and child. No one else can call me dad except for my two sons. I only have two. They're the only two people on the face of this earth that can call me father. Call me dad. Call me daddy. That is a right of being my children. As you know, it's a right of being God's children for you to call God your father dad. And he loves that name. And the word that's being translated here, uh, father, is actually a Greek word. It's pater. But it actually was more than likely Aramaic that Jesus was speaking, and he would have been using Abba, which really is better translated dad or daddy. That's why Jesus, all but one time in his prayer life, Every single time where there's an object where we know what Jesus was praying, he prayed, save one time, Father. You know when that one time was? When he was on the cross, bearing the weight of all of the sin of the world, he cried out, my God, my God. Because the relationship that had always been daddy transitioned for that period of time while he bore your sin on the cross it transitioned to where he cried out my God, my God why hast thou forsaken me fanciful renderings of that you know, indicate lots of different things but we know this at least for a moment even Jesus knew what it was like to have a broken relationship with his dad so when you think, you know, maybe God doesn't know what you're going through. Oh, yeah, he does. So many things that you can glean from this passage. I wanted to share some with you. As I was just going through, what, what do we get? when? What does Father mean to us? What do we get when we think of God being our Father? Our Father who is in heaven. Number one, you're able to go to God your Father, and it should be the end of all fear. Shouldn't fear going to your Father? The pagans had reason to fear going to their deities because very frequently you got barbecued by them. But when you're going to your Father, you lose the fear of going to Dad. Now Dad may be displeased, but Dad would never harm. A second thing, the knowledge of God's fatherhood settles every last uncertainty and fills us with hope. When you go to your father, it's the very best. And I realize we're in a broken world and all models fail in perfection. But in a general sense, 
If you can't go to your dad, there's really not anybody that you can't go to on this earth. If it fails there because of a broken home, then that's our humanness coming out. But in this case, a perfect father gives us hope. If an earthly father, I, I will spare no expense to protect my children. I'll spare no expense to take care of them. How much more so will your heavenly father do that for you, for us? And he's infinitely capable. Knowing God the Father should settle every issue of loneliness for every human being on the face of the earth who knows God. Even if we're rejected by our family, if we're rejected by the world, if our fellow believers, the the whole rest of the world forsakes us, when we're loved by the Father, He loves us with an eternal love. So you have someone who does love you. Praying to Father is asking from someone who loves you with an undying love. Knowing God's fatherhood should settle the matter of selfishness for us as well. Because Father knows better than children. And when your children come to you and they ask of things, very often they ask of things that you know really aren't all that good for them. You cannot live on Twinkies. You know what I'm saying? You, you can't live on Doritos and, and nacho cheese dip. Not every day can be a trip to the amusement park. There's things that have to be done. Father knows that. And so that matter of selfishness, God helps us see when we've been selfish. And so we pray our Father who is in heaven. Puts the rest of the household in order. Knowing God as our Father settles the matter of resources. That's why you've probably seen those shirts. Usually worn by a dad that says, Hi, I'm the wallet. <laughs> it settles the matter of resources. God has the resources we need. It doesn't mean He's going to give us everything that we ask for, but He is sufficient for every need. There's not a check that he's going to ever write. It's going to come back in SF. You're not going to swipe your debit card at the bank of heaven and go, no. God's fatherhood should settle the matter of obedience in our lives, shouldn't it? If he's really our father, then we owe that obedience. He works in our life that way. Whoever does the will of the Father who is in heaven... Matthew will go on to remind us, he is my brother, he is my sister, he's my mother. He does that, of course, in grace, but when you've received that grace, you walk around that wonderful obedience that God has for us. Sometimes when I read the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, it's another one of those stories where I I, I really wish we'd change it to the story of the faithful father. Because that really is the focus of the story, isn't it? It's not the disobedient son. It's not the rebellious child. It's the long-suffering, faithful father who waited and waited and prayed and longed for, and no matter how muddy his son got and how filthy he got, no matter where he went, no matter what he did, it was a story of a faithful God. 
So when you pray to Father God, it's your Father God that's waiting in the middle of the road to welcome you back. He's the one that has the ring in his hand and saying, here, put, let's slaughter the fatted calf because knowing him settles that issue. When you're praying for your dad to have your best interest in mind, you can be assured he has your best interest in mind. You can also be sure, just as it was in that story, he's not necessarily going to keep you from everything, but he'll be right there when you figured out that you've been slopping hogs. When you figured out you went the wrong way, you, you took the wrong turn, you ended up in a place that you shouldn't have been, knowing God as Father settles that issue for us. You can count on him waiting for you. And so I ask you, are you talking to your dad? Are you praying our father? I say, Dad, I really don't know what to do. Dad, I, I can't do this alone. Dad, I messed up. I totally blew it. One of those things that's happened to me as I've gotten older, I realize exactly how dumb I was as a, as a child, and as a teenager, as a young person. I look back on all the times when my dad must have been shaking his head. I'll never forget right out, right out of high school, my best friend and I decided we'd hike the Pacific Crest Trail, which we did, by the way. I wasn't even 18 yet. Packing my backpack and food boxes and mailing them off to parts unknown all over the state of California. My dad just looking like, you're doing what? Yeah, we're going to hike from Mexico to hopefully Canada, but at least to Oregon. Well, what are you going to do when you get back? I don't know. Thought you were going to college. I was. <laughs> Heading to that. Remember the Greyhound bus stations? Thought I had it all, all figured out. Had the whole world figured out. It was that time in our history when you know it was unicorns and rainbows flowers in your hair bell bottoms Hirachi sandals and I realized I was going to live past 18 You see, your Father in Heaven is infinitely more wise than that. When you call upon the name of the Lord, the second thing, the final thing for tonight, notice again in verse 9, the latter part, and it says, Hallowed be thy name. Jesus gives us a warning against being self-seeking. Gives us a warning against being casual or routine. Gives us a warning against repetition of 
vain things, just, just blabbering, basically. Make your prayer substantive. Tell God what it is that you believe that he would want for you. Lord, I think you want me to do this. I think you want me to go here. I think you would like for me to have this. I believe this is the direction for my life. I'll give you a little secret to an effective prayer life. Pray in a lot of questions and leave the door open for God to work. Don't pray in statements. But Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so he says here, hallowed be thy name. And in this case, name is not just, you know, God Almighty, ruler of the universe. It isn't just his title. It's his character. It's his plans. It's his will. When Moses went up on the mountain in Exodus chapter 34 to receive the commandments for the second time, remember he did that twice. He called upon the name of the Lord, the Lord there in verse 5 of Exodus 34, and the Lord passed in front of him, proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. That hallowed Father. The one who looks at us and has pity on us, the one who has compassion on us, the one who is truth, the one who's just filled with loving kindnesses. You see, those characteristics really are the equivalent of the name of the Lord. If you want to know God's name, you need to start talking a whole bunch of things. It's not just YHVH. It's not just G-O-D. Merciful, compassionate, tender, gentle, meek, humble, Certainly, almighty, all-knowing. He's all those things. Slow to anger, compassion, long-suffering. Anybody thankful that you can call on your Father God who is long-suffering? And think about it. Most of us in this room would be pretty lousy at being the eternal Father. Amen? We're not, all, we're not that great at being long-suffering. We're not even long-suffering with our, with our family, much less his family, which is a few billion people. Think about it. And yet we're to call on his hallowed name. God's name is associated with his faithfulness. Psalm 7, it says, I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness and sing praises to the name of the Most High God. In other words, his name also includes all of the depth of character that is God. He is righteous fully, completely, unlike our righteousness, which is accounted to us, it's given to us. It isn't even our own, it's the righteousness of Christ. It's the fullness of God's character and nature. So when you're thinking of this word that's translated for most of our English persons, hallowed or, or holy, it actually is an English word uh, that's kind of hard to translate, but when it gets right down to it, uh, the original root word here in the Greek language, hagasio, uh, it means to esteem with holiness. And there's only one universe, there's only one person in the entire universe to whom we can attribute that. And that's God himself. Only God is holy. Period. 
And so when we say, hallowed be thy name, it means holy are you, Lord. And I'm not. It's actually an admission. Each time you see God's name, you know, that's why it's, I was sharing with Thursday night crowd about specifically the heresies uh, of the New World Translation, the Bible that Jehovah's Witnesses use. One of the reasons that it's so heretical is they've removed all of the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful names of God. And instead of there being Elohim, the creator God, instead of El Elyon, the possessor of heaven and earth, instead of Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, instead of Jehovah Shalom, God is our peace, instead of Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness, you just see the boring name, Jehovah. Yes, God is Jehovah. He is singular. He is one. But he's also the God who loves, the God who forgives, the God who is compassionate, the God who is mercy, the God who is tender, the God who is just. He's all of those other things. So when you're saying, hallowed be thy name, you're admitting that all those other things also belong to him. So when you're asking of him, you're asking of someone who has infinite character. You're revering the fact that he is who he is. The same word as we translate it saintly or holy or sanctification. It's all the same basic root. And those are characteristics that come from God. In fact, Hebrews tells us we're going to see God. We need to be like him. So we ourselves are working towards that holiness. We're working towards those things in our own life where God wants to change us. And so the focus of this prayer is our Father God and all of his majesty. Absolutely everything he is. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. He is Jehovah Sidkenu. He's our righteousness. He is El Shaddai. He is El Gabor. He is mighty God. He's hero God. He is the almighty one. All of those things. So when you say in your prayer and you honor him, you say, Lord, you are holy. And, and this pile of dirt would love to hear from you. That's not too far-fetched. Good news is he loves his piles of dirt. Amen? That's what David said in Psalm 34, Oh, Magnify the Lord with me. Let me exalt his name together with thee. You know, we, we end up being the recipients of all these things that God is. And I want to leave you tonight. I'm going to bring the worship team back up. I want to leave you tonight with some things that the Lord's prayer, the disciples' prayer is not. I cannot say... Our Father, if God's will has no room for other people and their needs. I can't demonstrate that He is my Father unless I can demonstrate that I have a relationship with Him that allows Him to be Father. I can't say who is in heaven, who art in heaven, if all my interests, my pursuits 
are on earthly things and not heavenly things. I can't say hallowed be thy name if I am called by his name and yet I am not holy. It's reserved for his kids. I can't say thy kingdom come if I'm unwilling to give up my own kingdom to let his come. I can't say thy will be done if I'm unwilling or resentful for having his will done in my life. I can't say in earth or on earth as it is in heaven unless I'm truly ready to give myself to his service and not my own. I can't say give us this day our daily bread without expending an honest effort or ignoring the genuine needs of my fellow man on this earth. I can't say forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us if I continue to harbor grudges and unforgiveness. I can't say lead us not into temptation if I deliberately choose to remain in a situation where I am going to be tempted. can't say deliver us from evil if I'm not prepared to fight the spiritual battle. I can't say thine is the kingdom if I don't give the king disciplined obedience as a loyal subject. I can't say thine is the glory if my main concern is my own glory. I cannot say forever if I'm too anxious about my own affairs this day. And I can't say amen unless I can honestly say, cost what it may, this is my prayer. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord, we do want your kingdom come and we do want your will done here on earth as it is in heaven. And the plain fact is, God, we do rely on you for our daily bread and we are asking you to forgive. Lord, our trespasses, our sins because we have sinned, we've trespassed. Lord, we look to you. God, we desire for your plans and purposes to be accomplished in us. And Lord, as we learn how to pray, Lord, as we learn what not to pray, as we learn who we're praying to, God, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you move, Lord, in our lives to accomplish your plans? Lord, and we do say, nevertheless, just as you, Jesus, did, nevertheless. Lord, we have some directions. Your word declares that we make our plans, but you ordain our steps. And so, Lord, we're asking you ordain our steps. We're asking you to remove the rocks and the stones from the path that we travel. We're asking for you to accomplish in us what we are incapable of accomplishing for ourselves. And so, God, we bless you tonight and as we once again turn our attention to worshiping our King, to praising you.
God, we invite you to teach us how to pray. Lord, maybe some of us have gotten repetitious. Perhaps tonight some of us have laid hold of too many things that involve ourselves. Lord, perhaps some of us have been seeking our own will and not yours. Lord, maybe we've been disingenuous. We've been asking for things that we really don't want. We're asking for humility, but we don't want to be humbled. We're asking for truth, but we don't want to be truthful. God, would you teach us how to pray? Father God, we love you. We're so grateful for all that you've done for us that you, Jesus, would leave heaven's glories to come to this earth so that we might be children of God as beyond our knowing. We simply say thanks. And so God bless us. Fill us with your spirit. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus and God's people all said, Amen. Amen.